0: 1989, After Humanity. Written and narrated by Paul Inman. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at PaulInmanSC. Chapter 4. From the Top of the Tower. Danny and James enjoyed the view of the city on the Eiffel Tower replica. They'd taken the short ride up the elevator from the casino below. The warm winds above the city swept across their skin, blowing their hair, as the couple looked on, waiting for the Bellagio to bring to life the dance of the magical fountains below. James put his arms around Danny. She loved the feeling of him next to her. Can you see with me in front of you? she asked. He nodded and squeezed her tightly. It's amazing up here. You can almost see the entire valley. Just wait until we go on the high roller at the Link. That view is amazing. Highest, fairest will in the world, except for that one in Dubai. But you're going to love it. James kissed her cheek. She beamed. Danny couldn't remember a time when she felt this happy. Close, but not quite this happy. Her mother, Camilla, had come to New Mexico over the southern border illegally when she was pregnant with Danny. It was a hellacious, treacherous walk across many miles of open desert. Her mother had risked everything in order to escape Danny's father. He was abusive, both mentally and physically. Camilla knew that he might kill her if he ever found out what she'd been planning. Still, she fled into the desert at her first opportunity. Once over the border, she took any job she could find that paid under the table trying to earn enough money to give her unborn baby a good life in America. She wanted Danny to have the missed opportunities that she'd lost, wanted her to have a quality education, unlike the one she'd had, which was barely through the fourth year. Adapting proved to be harder than she'd initially thought. Not many people spoke Spanish, and her English was lousy at best, limited to the most simple phrases, such as please, thank you, and bathroom. She persevered, learned to speak English, and eventually became a naturalized citizen. Camilla sacrificed a lot for Danny. Danny could remember her mother from when she was a child. There were plenty of happy times, but mostly she remembered that her mother worked constantly. She would go from one job in the morning to the next in the evening with no breaks in between, only stopping to make sure little Danny ate and did her studies. She would bring Danny along to work every evening until she was in high school, finally trusting that she would do well on her own. Camilla took the entire week off of every job when it came time for Danny's graduation. She was the proudest mother in the audience that day. Danny had become the woman that Camilla had always wished for her to be. That was Danny's happiest time before tonight. That week her mother accepted her as equal. Spending the most quality time with her daughter that she had since she was little A part of her wished her mother was still here to see her now You okay? James asked Pulling Danny back from her thoughts Yes, just thinking about my mother She said James and Danny had been dating for just two months when Camilla got sick It was the C word The doctors said they would do everything that they could But it was aggressive Stage four and it was spreading fast. James stuck by Danny's side through all the hardships and grief that came along with trying to treat an incurable disease. Her wonderful, hard-working, self-sacrificing mother, Camilla, put up a strong but short fight. In the end, the C-word prevailed. James somehow held her closer. I love you. Just as he spoke, the show began. The fountains streamed up into the air, creating magnificent patterns that floated across the top of the water. Danny, forgetting her pain, gasped and smiled as she watched, a child transfixed on something magical. The fountains below swirled and splashed as the onlookers gazed. Danny was so fixated on the beauty of it all that she barely noticed James unwrap his arms. This is so amazing, Danny said. It's perfect. She turned to look at him, finally noticing he'd moved. Turning her head wasn't enough. She didn't see him over her shoulder. She spun all the way around and cupped her hands over her mouth when she finally made eye contact. James was kneeling, looking nervous and excited at the same time. He reached into his sport coat and produced a small box. Tears threatened to spill over Danny's bottom eyelashes. Danny, I love you he began. I've known that for a long time. I want to be with you forever. She had to remind herself to breathe, and the air came in a thick gasp. People around them looked on at the spectacle. Some were even filming with their cell phones. James went on. Before your mother died, she asked me if I was up to the challenge of taking care of you. He opened the box. Inside was a white gold ring that sparkled in the moonlight. Small diamonds encrusted the band surrounding a larger square cut stone. The clarity was amazing, even in the low light of the crescent moon. I told her I'd be honoured to. Then she gave me a small ring with a diamond mounted in the centre. This diamond. The tears were coming full force now. Danny couldn't control herself and didn't want to. She couldn't speak, but she nodded over and over. Daniela Flores, will you be my wife? Still nodding, she pulled him off the ground, wrapped her arms around his neck, and kissed him as hard as she could. The crowd of lookers cheered for them. Somehow, this night had managed to get even better. Danny was floating for the rest of their time on the observation deck. She placed the ring on her finger and couldn't stop looking at it. It was magical. She seemed to fall further into it every time she looked at the center, square-cut diamond. That's the original diamond your mother gave me, James said as they entered the lift back to the casino floor. I took the liberty of resetting it into something that I thought you might like. It's amazing. I can't believe you. I love you so much. She kissed him again. Congrats, you two, a fellow patron in the elevator said. My wife and I got married in Vegas. Maybe you two lovebirds could do the same. Danny and James thanked the man. You never know, James said. It could happen. The elevator doors opened, dropping its passengers back onto the casino floor. James and Danny walked out, hand in hand, all smiles. After a few steps, James stopped short. ''Hey babe,'' he pointed, ''I need to hit the restroom. Can you wait for me?'' ''I'll always wait for you.'' He smiled as he moved away, their hands entangled until they could no longer reach each other. Danny took the opportunity to take in everything in the elaborate building. People were everywhere, gambling, shopping, drinking, and enjoying life, just as she was. Her cheeks were beginning to hurt from all the smiling. Then, the explosion happened. It wasn't like the movies. There was no big, drama-induced swell of an orchestra, followed by people running or shooting or shouting. One minute, everything was normal. Danny was people-watching, waiting on her new fiance. The next... She was on the floor, fire all around her, dazed and confused about what was happening. As her senses returned, she gingerly rolled from her stomach to her back, now staring up into the madness. Her ears rang like she'd been at a rock concert the evening before. Smoke filled her nostrils and burned her eyes. She tried to sit up, but her head was a tornado of pain and dizziness, and she involuntarily fell back. She managed to rotate her head toward the muffled sound of someone screaming. James was the first thing she said. Chapter 5 The 8-Bit Fall After the script faded away, the screen showed another cutscene. This time, the monitor filled with an aerial view of Las Vegas at dusk. The view slowly zoomed into the heart of the city, coming to a stop framed around the Paris Las Vegas hotel and casino. The scene then cut to a shot of the interior of the casino where a few men and women were lurking around the base of the Eiffel Tower replica. They looked suspicious and nervous. Aubrey concentrated as the on-screen view jumped from one person to the other. From time to time, your so-called deities decide to cleanse humanity for its wicked ways. Some humans have decided that they represent these deities and make choices of who lives and dies just because they have different beliefs. I would hope to save everyone in this building, but that would be improbable. Help me save as many as I can before it's too late." As Pandora spoke the final words, the scene shifted back outside to show a blinding white streak cut through the center of the casino throwing chunks of granite-covered walls into the surrounding streets. A thick, charcoal-colored cloud of smoke plumed up the edge of the Eiffel Tower replica, where the superheated explosion caused almost instantaneous structural damage to the support beams holding up the massive structure. The tower listed nearly 45 degrees to its rear, crashing into the X-shaped hotel that stood behind it barely holding the tons of metal from crashing through the rest of the building. Then, the lights began to flicker in all of Paris, Las Vegas. The hotel and casino began to burn. You have two minutes to save as many as you can, Pandora concluded. The screen went black. Oh shit! Aubrey let out a breath she wasn't aware that she was holding and rubbed her sweaty palms together as the game returned. First Floor This level was designed as an overhead maze. In the level, Pandora would need to navigate the maze while picking up what appeared to be stick figures that represented people. There was a score counter in the top right corner that counted the rescued and a countdown clock that had already lost three seconds while Aubrey stared at the screen. Her mind flashed to a distant memory of her and her father playing Pac-Man on one of the vintage tabletop arcades. She sat across from him, taking turns staring down at the maze-filled screen where the little yellow circle ate the dots while being chased by ghosts. It was one of her last great memories with her dad before her parents divorced and her dad left. She'd seen him sporadically throughout the years, but they'd never seemed to rekindle the pure joy that they'd shared playing a video game together. Maybe that's why she still played, even now, into her 30s. You must hurry. Pandora's tinny voice pulled her back into the moment. She grabbed the joystick and began working her way around the maze, moving toward the stick people. After she'd collected around ten of the people, the game suddenly went dark. What? Come on, Aubrey said, slapping the buttons. The fuse blow? The monitor lit up again and began to flicker. She noticed that the counter and the timer didn't disappear like everything else. She chuckled. The electricity in the building is flickering. Pandora, you sly son of a... Concentration cut the sentence short. Maneuvering the Pandora character impartial to total darkness proved to be a challenge, but Aubrey cleared the first floor with one minute and fifteen seconds remaining. She wiped her sweaty palms on her pants during the interlude while the screen changed. Second Floor The maze on the second floor was a bit more complex than the first. There were more people that needed rescuing, too. Aubrey pushed the joystick right, breathing life into her Pandora avatar, and began to collect the stranded people. After five seconds, the maze went dark again. This time, it was dark for a longer period of time, and to make things worse, the people were moving around the maze, too. They didn't behave this way on the first floor. Damn you, Pandora! Aubrey said in a breathy whisper. This was proving to be much more challenging than the first level in Berlin. The counter was lower than 40 seconds now, and she still couldn't see where the people were. Aubrey blindly jerked the joystick left, then right, and up, then down, while watching to see if her score increased. She hoped she was saving some people, but it was impossible to tell. When the screen did light up, it was only for a fraction of a second not even long enough to tell where Pandora was in the maze. It was frustrating, to say the least. Pandora's voice from in the machine. Ten seconds, you must hurry. I'm trying, damn it." The screen remained black as the last seconds ticked off the counter. Three, two, one. A new cut scene began. Paris, Las Vegas was burned beyond recognition. The hotel was almost completely gone and twisted, gnarled metal of the half-scale Eiffel Tower replica lay across the smoldering rubble. The only thing that stood in its entirety was the Arc de Triomphe that stood adjacent to the main casino. People were crying and screaming in the streets. Loved ones ran around outside of the emergency vehicles begging to be let in. Aubrey watched in horror. "'The survival of humanity is in your hands,' Pandora spoke slowly. Jesus, Aubrey whispered, getting that strange feeling that Pandora was talking to her again. The screen faded to black, and the sounds of sirens and grief faded with it. Continue, flashed on the screen. Aubrey stepped back from the arcade machine and felt a shudder run up her body. You've been listening to 1989, After Humanity. Written and narrated by Paul Inman. Follow Aubrey and Drake on Twitter at TMC Restores, and follow me at Paul Inman SC. Please rate and review on Apple Podcast and anywhere podcasts are available. It really helps. Email 1989 After at gmail.com with any feedback.